Hey, what's up, everybody? Greatest show on dirt coming to you live from the Sweet Bee Studios. This is Quentin, your host. Let's talk some baseball. It is July 7th. Hopefully, you're all recovered from July 4th. Hopefully, you had a great July 4th celebrating America with a ton of grilling, a ton of eating, a ton of fireworks. That's awesome. That's what I did. And I'll tell you what else I did, though, man. I went to the beach. And this is what I'm about to tell you is a, is a very powerful story of perseverance, determination, and a willingness to give everything that I have, right? This is a human human story on my end. So I was at the beach and I was on the water. You understand? I was on the shore of the water and my buddy Chris, man, had this ball that's like a skip ball and you have to throw it and you have to skip it off the water. You know, so we were just throwing it back and forth, right? I was pretending I was a shortstop and then I would pretend I was a pitcher and then something alarming happened and it's something that I don't want you guys to be too scared over it. You know, I'll be fine. I'm a strong guy, but I felt a lot of forearm tightness and my forearm hurt. And I know that's a sign where somebody might need Tommy John surgery. Now, I haven't went and got an MRI or an x-ray yet, you know, mostly because there are no benefits that come with the Greatest Show on Dirt podcast. You know, we don't offer anyone health insurance, no type of medical whatsoever, not even dental, you know. So if you would ever work for me, your teeth will fall out and you will probably die in 10 years. We can't give anything to anybody. And I'm not hiring either because we also don't make any money at the Greatest Show on Dirt Studios. Um, and so I'm undoubtedly not going to get Tommy John surgery, even though I have severe forearm tightness from what I estimate about 50 throws of the skip ball on the water, 50 throws. That's all it took. And I'm not going to get Tommy John surgery for one is because I can't step away from this podcast. You know, my fans mean the world to me. And if I were to get Tommy John surgery, I don't know if I would be able to hold up the microphone to the extent that I need to hold up the microphone. Because if you've heard me talk, you know, I can talk for 20 solid minutes without taking a breath. And then when I do, it's a lot of heavy panting into the microphone, which I'm about to do in two seconds. Woo! Um, so definitely not going to get it because I know that the world can't go without it. But also because I can't afford Tommy John surgery, as I've just explained, that there's no healthcare option here in the Sweet Bee Studios for the greatest show on dirt. But I, it made me laugh, dude, because I look at guys like on a serious note where Aaron Hicks has been... <laughs> Jordan Hicks, not Aaron Hicks. Aaron Hicks is the hitter for the Yankees. Jordan Hicks has been throwing like 105 forever, and it still breaks my heart that he has to have Tommy John surgery, but it's amazing how Major League Baseball pitchers can throw so hard for so long and seemingly hold up pretty damn well, but then I go to the beach and I throw a skip ball 40 times, and my forearm burns and you know gets tight, and I'm pretty sure I probably really have a torn UCL in there, man, from like 40 throws. So that that's a little scary, but that's where I'm at in my life right now. So I'm going to give everything I have to you right now for this show. Blood, sweat, and beers. I mean tears, sorry, tears. Oh gosh, there's no beer here. There's no alcohol in the studios. I'm doing this sober, I promise. Um, let's talk some baseball, dude. Oh, thank goodness you made it through that four-minute rant. Dude, first and foremost, check this out. The Mets and the Philadelphia Phillies played Saturday night, right, which was last night. And these two teams play, and Jake Arrieta allowed 11 hits, 
oh, through like 23 at-bats. So I would say, honestly, through about Jake Arrieta's past seven starts, I think teams are hitting about 400 against him. So, you know, the one thing that you can rest assured of, if you're a hitter and you're in a slump and you play the Phillies, you should for sure start against Jake Arrieta because you too can be Tony Gwynn <laughs> if you're facing Jake Arrieta. He, yeah, on the season, he's his average against for like all players for the whole season is 277. So not only could you be like a 400 hitter if you face Jake Arrieta now, but hell, man, if you kind of faced him all the time, you could dang, you'd be a, a 280 hitter. That Those are Hall of Fame numbers. Right? If you can hit 280 with some power, he allows a, almost uh, like a home run and a half a game. So Jake Arrieta is bad. But um, I'm not going to bury the lead too far here. So Jake Arrieta, he's, he pitches like garbage. And he hit two batters last night. And the first batter he hit was Todd Frazier, who had already been hit like three times in the series. Right? So Todd Frazier was mad. He threw his bat. And he expressed a lot of anger towards Jake Arrieta and the whole Philadelphia Phillies team because they've been hitting him. But really, Todd Frazier failed to see that Jake Arrieta just can't throw a baseball over the plate. It's, a, it's, not, it's not working for him. He can't do it. Right? Jake Arrieta is not a serviceable MLB starter, I don't believe, at this point. He got really mad at Jake. And I feel bad for Jake because Jake can't throw a strike. Like, it's not Jake's fault, right? But... Jake Arrieta, in an interview after the game, said if Todd Frazier was mad at him, that he will put a dent in Todd Frazier's skull. That's what Jake Arrieta said, right? And there's a little bit of a problem with that, right? One, I know Jake Arrieta, you know, is not good on location, right? He's not good at pitch location. He can't locate. So I hardly doubt he's going to be able to locate a punch, to Todd Frazier's face. If anything, he might like bump him in the shoulder or graze like his clavicle or something. So that's not going to work. Jake Arrieta can't punch. There's no coordination there. He's not going to be able to do it. Okay. But on a serious note, I do think that the Philadelphia Phillies, bold statement here, yell at me if you want, that the Philadelphia Phillies, I think they should just fire Jake Arrieta. I think they should designate him for assignment and get him out because we're at the all-star break. He signed half of this year and all of next year. I would get him out now. And to me, it's very important to get Jake Arrieta out of this Philadelphia Phillies clubhouse because it's a bad guy in the clubhouse. He's not a good role model for the young players in there. He's not doing anything for the pitching staff numbers-wise because he's not performing physically. But also, I don't think he's a person that does anything mentally for the Philadelphia Phillies clubhouse or for the starting rotation. And here's why. So earlier this season, Bryce Harper got ejected out of a game because he was mad because of the strike zone, as we're all mad because of the strike zone. I think the thing that makes me matter in the whole entire world, more mad than anyone cruising the left lane 10 miles below the speed limit, more than anyone eating the last bowl of Lucky Charms and leaving me with plain Cheerios in the morning is that little square box on the television that tells me if it's a ball or a strike because every time the umps are wrong, it makes me mad, okay? And so Bryce Harper was mad like we all are, and he was like, hey, umpire, that's not a strike. You're a dumbo idiot circus. And he Bryce Harper was ejected out of the game. And then he tossed his helmet, fluffed his hair a couple times, and walked to the dugout. He was gone. And then Jake Arrieta post-game was like, 
hey, Bryce, man, you shouldn't have got ejected out of the game. He didn't call this out to Bryce's face. He called it out in an interview, and he told the person interviewing him, he said, Bryce Harper shouldn't have been kicked out of the game. I need him on the field. That's a very dumb move by Bryce Harper. That's basically what he said. He called out his teammate. He also, Jake Arrieta called out Scott Kingery for his bad defense last year. So Jake Arrieta likes to call out his teammates a lot, okay? But what Jake Arrieta did in this situation by saying he was going to put a dent in Todd Frazier's skull, now Jake Arrieta has put all of his teammates at a high injury risk because today, going into Sunday's game, the Philadelphia Phillies studs, they're going to get thrown at by New York Mets pitching. It's going to happen. And even if it doesn't happen, there's a chance it could happen sometime this season because these are in-division dudes and... Jake Carrietta is just talking smack, saying he's going to punch Todd Frazier in the face and crack his cranium, give him a skull fracture. And so now what we're looking at here is, you know, Bryce Harper could be thrown at today. Reese Hoskins could be thrown at today. Gene Segura could be thrown at today. JT Real Muto could be thrown out today. Scott Kingery could be thrown at today. And what's happening now is what Jake Carrietta has done is his dumb actions as a Philadelphia Philly have now put... Guys on this team at risk that actually contribute to winning games, okay? So you've got the dead weight in Jake Arrieta is now just putting everyone at risk for the team. And me, if I was a coach, right, or like an owner or manager, I, I sort of, I'm huge, huge proponent of relationships, relationships in the clubhouse, these sorts of things that go beyond the numbers because I think they mean everything in the world. You know, I look at the Tampa Bay Rays right now and the things they're doing as a club. If you were to look at their decisions on pieces of paper, as far as like trading Nathan Evaldi or Jake Odorizzi or like Logan Morrison not bringing him and Corey Dickerson back and their payroll, you could look at the decisions of the Tampa Bay Rays and say, well, they don't really care about winning a whole lot. Right? You would say that. But then when you see the team and you see the players and see the results of this team, you say, actually, I was wrong because they're just playing baseball really intelligent. And they're doing great, and they're innovating, and they're doing things that other teams don't do. And case in point, the Tampa Bay Rays, they have a guy named Travis Darno, who was a catcher for the Mets, who all of a sudden now is like a completely different player with the Tampa Bay Rays. And a lot of that is because of the environment in the clubhouse, okay? So I'm a huge clubhouse dude, and at the first whiff of anything— I would I would do whatever it took to you know make my clubhouse better and if that included firing a guy who I still owe like 40 million dollars to I, I don't really care that much because that money is already spent and the most you can do as a as a manager or like a GM a general manager at this point is to make the most out of the money you've already spent and I think a lot of that, you know, I would never be afraid to get rid of a guy that maybe just didn't work out, but I still have to pay money to. So Jake Harrington needs to be designated for assignment, like I, whatever. And it's mostly because now he's just put other players at risk that actually contribute. And so his, I, and as far as calling out teammates are concerned, listen, you should be able to have a dialogue with your teammates. Like the keyword there, dialogue. Like you should never go to anyone from the press and say, yeah, Scott's defense, you know, really, you know, made it to where 
I had to work extra hard on the mound today, and Bryce Harper getting kicked out of the game makes it to where we're going to lose because, you know, I need him on the field. With Jake Arrieta, there's a lot of I, and there's really zero amount of ownership. And to me, how I feel as an athlete is you have to take ownership of everything that happens. And the reason for that is, is for the mindset of anybody, whether it's like in an athletic endeavor or if it's me and you at our jobs, I think it's important to always take responsibility for the outcomes that we're a part of. Because if you start to put that blame on other people, it takes the control away from you and gives it to other people. And that's where the ownership comes into play because you can't finish a game or leave a day at the job and say, hey, I wasn't able to complete my task because all these other people. That's not how it should be, how how it should be looked at and how Jake Arrieta should look at this situation, really how everyone should look at any situation they're in is say, here's my environment that I have to work in to get the job done. Here's what I've been given. And what do I have to do to get the job done? And the appropriate response when you're a starting pitcher is if things don't go your way, you need to do things different and you need to take ownership of that, not blame people for getting ejected or playing defense that might not be up to your liking. It needs to be, what do I need to do to win this game? Here's what I've been given and I need to do whatever it takes. And someone like Jake Arrieta just can't be trusted in the clubhouse to take ownership. And because he can't take ownership, it tells me that he's not willing to do what needs to be done to win. And he just doesn't have the ability to do it. So he he just has to go. So that's where the Jake Arrieta saga is now. So we'll see what happens when these two teams play today. I don't think Arietta will really get designated for assignment, but those are sort of the reasons why I have such a problem with what Jake Arietta did, because again, it puts the team at risk and it doesn't do anything for this young team in the way of growing and maturing and just getting better. You know, you're either getting better or you're getting worse. And if you're not doing either one of those things, then you're getting worse, right? And I don't see in this environment how the Philadelphia Phillies can improve with a guy like this in the clubhouse. So that's a wrap on Jake. Check this out, though, man. Okay, so let's stay on the National League East, right? The Florida Marlins. Okay, the, the Florida Marlins I is one of the teams that everyone just really enjoyed hating in baseball because they really it looked like they treated their fans really poorly. They tra- they've always traded away a lot of good players that they've had and seemingly just never cared about winning. And then this new new ownership group, you know, from the outside, led by Derek Jeter, not financially, but Derek Jeter is like the CEO and sort of like the fra- the face of the franchise at this point as far as ownership and decision-making is concerned. These guys come in and they immediately trade away Real Muto, Ozuna, Yelich, Stanton. Yelich, who looks like the best player in baseball right now. A lot of people were frustrated at that tr- uh, at all of the Miami Marlins trades because it sort of seemed like, hey, man, they're not really getting a lot back. They're getting rid of these big names, but it seems to be that maybe they just don't care and they just want to turn this thing into a quick profit. Well, I'll tell you this. I don't know that that's the case anymore. Here's what I want to tell you. The Miami Marlins right now have the seventh best starting pitching ERA in baseball. Okay? That's 
phenomenal seventh best ERA in baseball for starters. Now, the important number to look at is they're fielding independent pitching. And what that does is it sort of takes luck out of the equation and tells you what this team really is starting pitching-wise. Well, that number is the ninth. They're ninth best in fielding independent pitching. And that's sort of like a number comparable to ERA, but it takes the defensive luck out of the equation. So what you have with the starting pitching is this is a, you put meet them in the middle. This is a top eight starting pitching staff in all of baseball right now. They limit home runs really well. Their bullpen's not great. Their offense really doesn't have a lot of, you know, big bats on it at this point. And what's odd is they're only six games behind the New York Mets right now, who actually aggressively pursued names in the offseason to win a World Series, while the Marlins just didn't do anything but, like, sell guys and collect their prospects. And (laughs) that's how—that's really an indictment on how bad the Mets are right now. But we won't go there, dude. But check this out. If you want to know what the Marlins have right now— It's excellent starting pitching. At least that's how they're looking, okay? So they do have an all-star on the team, Sandy Alcantara. Contra like the... Alcantara is his last name. Like Al Bundy and Contra, the Nintendo game. Alcantara. Now you'll never forget the pitcher for the Marlins that I'm talking about. You'll think Al Bundy and Contra. Alcantara. (laughs) That's what's up, dude. He's an all-star this year, man. They got this cap. From the St. Louis Cardinals, man. They actually got Sandy Alcantara, who's an all-star this year from the Cardinals. And they got a guy named Zach Gallon from the Cardinals. Gallon, like gallon of milk, right? Yeah. And Zach Gallon in the minor leagues, dude, whipped up a 9-1 record with a buck 77 ERA, dude. Struck out 112 guys in 91 innings, right? He's a he's a he's a command guy, dude. And Sandy Alcantara's had a good enough year to be an all-star. Uh, the Marlins also have a guy named Pablo Lopez, who I saw pitch a seven-inning three-hitter, which I thought was an excellent performance. I saw it in person. I went to Marlins Park myself because it's the greatest show on dirt. We we show love to the little teams as well, and we do anything we can. But also, I just happen to be in the area. <laughs> so it's kind of like, what's up? And I'm a world traveler, you know? What, what can I say? Right? I travel to all the best places in the world, you know? Yeah. Pablo Lopez, though, he's a good starting pitcher. The coolest place I ever traveled, I went to Iceland. I went to Iceland in February. I mean, Iceland was a rad trip. Yeah, we went up uh, some big mountains, some volcano-type stuff, some ice glaciers. It was huge. We drove a, a jacked-up van up a whole glacier. It was rad. Yeah, I've got video from it, dude. It's awesome. It's Going to Iceland was a life-changing experience. Everyone asked me. They say, man, how was your trip to Iceland? What was it like? And the only words that come to mind are life-changing, right? Because that's what we do on The Greatest Show on Dirt. We change lives. Pablo Lopez, though, he he's he's a decent pitcher, man. He's pitching good. He's a young guy. All these guys are like 23 years old. And then a fourth pitcher they've got that's really good is a guy named Jordan Yamamoto. He's from Hawaii. And he's had five starts this season. And out of those five starts, four have been really good. He's had two great starts against the Cardinals and one really good start against the Braves. So good teams he's pitching well against. And get this, in 29 innings, he hasn't even allowed a home run, dude. So the Marlins have a good 
starting rotation. And I think, I don't know when they'll be good. I don't know. But you have an NL East that's very competitive that I think is wide open. And dude, I wouldn't be surprised if the NL East minus the Mets is one of the best divisions in baseball in a few years just because you have the Braves and the Phillies getting better every day. You have the Nationals who will never give up. The Nationals are like Rocky Balboa just getting a crap beat out of him by Ivan Drago. And now it seems like the Nationals are on a charge right now. And they're getting good this year. I think over maybe like their last 40 games or something like that or 50 games, I swear, they've got like a seven over like a 700 winning percentage. Yeah, they're coming around, dude. And good TV yesterday on Saturday. The Nationals wore Expos jerseys, which was awesome. I'm so going to buy an Expos jersey. I want the Expos to come back, and I want them to come to where I live in Charlotte, North Carolina, so I can watch them, right? So keep an eye on this, man. And, you know, I look at a lot of these pitchers that are coming out, like Jordan Yamamoto and then Brendan McKay, the two-way guy who I talked about on my last podcast, and then guys like Kyle Hendricks and Zach Gallen. You, I think in baseball, I wonder if we're seeing the return of the finesse pitching. You know, Jordan Yamamoto, Pablo Lope, and Zach Gallen, and then like the names I just mentioned. Dude, this is hard when you record by yourself. I'll have a guest later today. I think my brother's going to come on with me. But uh, we're starting to see a lot of pitchers in the league, man, to get excited about that aren't overwhelming with velocity. And I wonder at some point is... Are we going to see a change in the way pitchers develop their craft because a lot of hard throwers aren't holding up well? You know, Jordan Hicks just down with Tommy John surgery. You look at a guy like Noah Syndergaard, who who is underperforming compared to what he did a few years ago. I think I don't know how hard Matt Harvey ever threw, but I think he might have been a 97 or 98 mile an hour guy. You know, someone who relied on heavy velocity. And, you know, he's never been the same since a lot of his arm injuries since after the 2015 World Series when he really pushed himself. And a guy like Jordan Yamamoto for the Marlins, his fastball is like 91. Brendan McKay throws like a low to mid-90s fastball. He doesn't need that stuff. Kyle Hendricks threw a complete game earlier this year on like 83 pitches and didn't throw a single pitch over 89 miles an hour. These sort of things are happening with finesse pitching, you know, being able to work both sides of the plate, and then also, you know, take a guy that maybe tops out at 91, or like Kyle Hendricks sometimes at 89, then they can fool you with such a variance in pitch speed, because that variance is there, really doesn't matter if, you know, they hit 100 on the radar gun, right? Like Zach Granke, throws basically a slow ball that runs at like 65 to 69 miles an hour and he's throwing it this year and damn near has a sub three ERA and because the health of the human arm and really just its capabilities of what those ligaments are able to hold up to I would not be surprised if we see a rise in the finesse pitcher that's what I'll call it I don't want to disrespect it and say oh, it's a smarter way to pitch or because you, you always hear the common term about you either have a hard thrower or you have like a pitcher that knows how to pitch, you know? I, I'm not here to disrespect guys that throw hard because there's an art in that. You know, look at Nolan Ryan, hard thrower his whole career. You, you can't be mad at that at all. Or Chapman will be a Hall of Fame closer 
And it's and he's a hard velocity guy. He is starting to change the way he is now. But even CC Sabathia was a hard velo guy. Hell, Sandy Koufax and Craig Maddox were earlier in their careers and just had to change. But just to see these guys come up, it, it's refreshing for sure because it's definitely fun to watch. You know, more finesse pitchers. It's so fun to see somebody strike out on a 90-mile-an-hour fastball and swing out of their shoes. I love it. So if you want to see some some finesse pitching this year, it seems to be that you could tune into some Marlins games or watch Brendan McKay in his next start, which he he got demoted until after the All-Star break, so he can still keep getting pitching work. But if you get the chance to see some of these guys throw, some of these soft throwers for the Marlins, or like Zach Granke or Kyle Hendricks, go tune into him because it's fun to watch. But also, one of the other things I like about these finesse pitchers is you get the chance to see them go late into games and possibly throw complete games. Like To me, that means something. It's a good game watched if someone goes all nine innings, allows three hits and strikes out like eight dudes on 110 pitches. I love it, and it's really fun to watch. But then also from a team standpoint, it really helps to save your bullpen. But those are just good games because, I mean, we don't see a lot of that anymore of guys going seven, eight, nine innings. A lot of it is like five innings or six innings. You know, the quality start is defined as six innings of three-run ball. And when Nolan Ryan was once asked about the quality start, he said, oh, my God, if I went out and pitched like that, I'd get a talking to. I'd probably get fired. <laughs> yes, sir But watch some of these finesse pitchers, man. Look them up. Watch them. I'm going to try to think of some other ones. I know Miles Michaelis for the Cardinals. He's not a hard-throwing pitcher. Um, I feel like there was another guy on the Cardinals that maybe I'm missing who was sort of like a finesse guy, but I can't think of it off the top of my head. I don't know how Dakota Hudson throws. I'm not 100% sure. Let me try to think of some other guys here real quick. Hinjin Ryu for the Dodgers. He's a good location guy and he's a fun guy to watch pitch and I have to say this too Charlie Morton's not a finesse pitcher he's a hard thrower but yo Charlie Morton signed a two-year 30 million dollar contract with the Rays he's pitching really good he can pitch good to ground balls leaves 80 percent of guys on base allows about a half a home run a game strikes out 11 guys per nine innings and in 107 innings right now he's got a 2.36 ERA he's one of the best pitchers in baseball now from a fan graphs war perspective he's the fourth best pitcher in baseball only Max Scherzer Garrett Cole and Lance Lynn <laughs> Lance Lynn my man all right dude I love Lance Lynn and one of the reasons I'm a huge fan of Lance Lynn is a couple years ago for the Cardinals he got hit in the head with a ricocheted baseball a comebacker no not a ricocheted baseball it was a comebacker that hit Lance Lynn in the head at like 110 miles an hour, and then ricocheted off his head. And then they asked Lance Lynn post-game, like, hey, man, are you okay? And Lance Lynn was like, the hat protected me. And the announcers were like, dude, you're loopy. And he's like, whatever, man, I'm fine. And then Lance Lynn goes, my question, my first question was after the ball hit me in the head at 110 miles an hour was where was Colton Wong on the ricochet? Why didn't he catch the ricochet? That is what he said. Where was he at on the ricochet? It's unbelievable. And then when the trainers came out to ask Lance Lynn, they're like, how do you feel, man? You just got hit in the head with 110 miles an hour baseball. Lance was like, dude, quit bugging me. I'm fine. Like they was out there bugging me. Get away from me, man. He was fine. He was laughing about it, dude. Like. 
I stub my toe on a coffee table, right? And it's the end of the world, man. Like, I, my arm still hurts from my need for Tommy John surgery. It's the worst. So, to get hit in the head, man, Lance Lynn always has my props, dude. And if you wonder, you wouldn't believe that the Rangers, dude, the 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 Texas Rangers, man, I'm pretty sure right now they're in line for a wild card spot. I'm about to tell you. No. But the Rangers are only three games back from a wild card spot right now, which is pretty impressive because I don't – I. I thought the Rangers were pretty much as done and going to like rebuild. But right now, the Texas Rangers have a better record than the Washington Nationals, the Milwaukee Brewers, the Phillies, the Cardinals, the Rockies. They got a better record than a lot of good teams right now. Dude, Lance Lynn low-key is 11-4. He's thrown 115 innings and has a 3.91 ERA. And from a wins above replacement standpoint on fan graphs, he's the second best pitcher in the league right behind Max Scherzer. And, hey, he can take a ball off the head at 110 miles an hour. Uh, Yeah, so that's it, man. So I don't even know why I started getting – why was I talking about Lance Lynn? Oh, because I told you guys you need to watch Charlie Morton pitch. I was supposed to tell you some finesse pitchers to watch. I don't know if I really have any other, like, cool finesse pitchers to watch. I'm looking at a list of pitchers right here, and there's nobody that's really cool that I want you to watch. So if you want to watch finesse pitchers – Watch Brendan McKay pitch. Watch the two. He just pitched against the Yankees and before that pitched against the Rangers. Dude, he's fun to watch. Watch him. Hinjin Ryu. Watch Granky pitch. Watch Kyle Hendricks pitch when he comes back. Actually, I think he's already back. Yeah, that's it, man. I I hope the finesse pitcher comes back, man. I think it'll be good. But I still like to see, you know, 105 mile an hour fastballs. I do. I do. But I think from a team perspective, I'm not going to be surprised if a lot of you know, starting, hell, maybe starting at the junior high level, junior high, high school levels, you know, teaching these kids to finesse, teaching them to really start to dial in that location because it's so hard to be a pitcher and be successful in Major League Baseball because arms don't stay healthy at all. I mean, I was in sixth grade throwing the ball as hard as I could, right? But I don't know if I, I didn't always throw as hard as I could because I grew up watching a lot of Greg Maddox, but kids are like that. Hunter Green was throwing, I think, like 104 in high school. And he was, Hunter Green was the, what was he, the second overall pick in 2017 by the Reds? And I mean, he, so he's already had his Tommy John and all those things. But when you talk about all like your elbow ligaments and your shoulders, it's just hard to do. But for a person that I think could learn to locate and learn that sort of, like that hand-eye coordination to put the ball where you need to, that might be a skill that, one, you know, we're seeing it pay off for guys. And I wouldn't be surprised if it starts to happen because, you know, there are a lot of a lot of kids that want to play Major League Baseball. And I think that for sure to be able to pitch the contact successfully, I think is huge because you get lower miles on one's arms because pitch counts tend to stay low. And then if you have a guy or two like that in the rotation, you can really save your bullpen because you have such an efficient working pitcher. Yeah, that's it, man. That's what I like, dude. I'm going to end the show, man. We're 30 minutes. I'm going to record again this evening with my brother, so we'll get that going. But otherwise, thanks for listening to these rants and ramblings of a madman. Quint McCree signing off. Greatest show on dirt. See you next time, guys. Later, Gators.